One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. And welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's six, and Kenny, he's three. And I have three kids. Tony is 12 and Libby and Nate are nine. And they are so adorable, aren't they? So adorable. We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. Katie, would you like to start us off? So speaking of the ages of our kids, my boys both have summer birthdays. And as a result, Kenny has seen all of his classmates turn four before him. And Mm. now pretty much on a daily basis, he asks me if he's still three. And when I say yes, he gets so mad, so mad as if it is something I am inflicting on him. Like I've told him he can't have a cookie before he has his dinner. Like you cannot turn four. And he does the whole, I never, I never get to and it is just so sweet he's so excited to turn four I keep telling him he shouldn't rush it and I don't want to rush it but he asks me pretty much every day (laughs) oh that's cute does he get to have a party yes we have actually rented out the same space that we rented for his brother's fourth birthday party so I'm hoping that'll be fun nice that will be fun how about you what have your kids been up to Um, This is big news in our family. Tony is no longer allergic to peanuts. He has been like monitored by an allergist for years and years and years. Um, And then he did a peanut challenge. I don't know if you know the allergy lingo, but we went to the allergist's office and he tried like an increasing amount of peanut butter over a number of hours. And at the end, he had to like shovel two whole tablespoons of peanut butter (laughs) down the hatch uh and he didn't have a reaction to any of it so it's awesome I am so excited for you Deborah yeah is he excited or has it been so long that he just doesn't care one way or the other no he's excited to try a lot of different candies that have previously been off limits to him there's so much pad thai in your future Oh yeah. I don't see, I don't think he actually likes the taste of just a peanut because he didn't, he just was like choking down the peanut butter. It's a weird texture if you're not used to it. So, but he's all about like the Reese's, the Snickers, the Butterfinger. (laughs) That is so, so exciting. Um, is it common to like outgrow that allergy or do you actually have to work at it? Well, I mean, it's just, it just, it either happens or it doesn't, but mm-hmm. it's pretty slim chances of it actually happening. The allergist said it's like 20% of kids just outgrow it. There are therapies you can do um, to like desensitize your body against the allergens. And we decided not to pursue that with Tony because it looked like he was maybe going to outgrow it. That is really exciting. 
Yeah. Are you going to do s'mores when you're camping this weekend and put Reese's peanut butter cups down instead of regular plain old Hershey's? Oh, shoot. You know what? So Libby is still allergic to peanuts. Oh, no. <laughs> so, it, so Tony, like, he does get to consume, like, the new candy, but has to do so when Libby's not around. Oh, poor Libby. Yeah. Well, two down, one to go. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so should we talk about screen time in the news? We're talking about a June 8th article from Variety about Seema Zargami's Mimo Studios. Um, it's an article by Jennifer Moss and uh, Mimo Studios welcomes preschoolers into the metaverse with Web3 prep series at Hippo Park. So that's Web3, W-E-B number three hyphen prep, all one word. <laughs> And then at sign Hippo Park, all one word. Really, Variety's headline writer deserves a bonus for this. Yeah, so this uh, rang a bell because we talked about Mimo Studios back in episode 108 about how this Hollywood producer was sure that kids were not going to watch any content that didn't already have like intellectual property associated with it. So Mimo Studios, kind of a weird deal to me. This was a super weird deal. Like, I didn't know what Web3 was. I <laughs> I've avoided all news about m- the metaverse because <laughs> it sounds terrible. So this article says that this new show at Hippo Park is, quote, aimed at preparing young children for consuming content and games in the metaverse end quote the episodes are 15 to 90 seconds long you know just little quick bites of content that's that's always gone over well so web3 relates to blockchain technologies i'm rolling my (laughs) eyes way back in my head and the decentralized web for when power and data is in control of the users and so An example of this would be in Web3, a Facebook wouldn't be selling ads and monetizing um, its users' content. content. You, the user, would be selling ads based on the content you put out. I don't want preschoolers to have anything to do with this. What did you think about this article? Yeah, it, it induced so much panic in me because just at a very basic level, I know we try to be pretty open about our struggles with even the content on YouTube, which is, um, you know, a lot of kids' primary means of consuming entertainment these days. And mm-hmm. we try to keep up with it the best we can, but we recognize that, like, it's not our, it's not our milieu. We are just trying to do it to keep up with our kids and I feel Mm -hmm. like this is another step farther down that path that I'm already really struggling with I also don't know whether you consumed any media around the um uh, and I'm not going to remember the platform's name but when Facebook made the transition to being meta Mm -hmm. and they decided to put all their eggs in this like VR future Uh, And they have this like space that people are supposed to be interacting virtually in. 
But the problem that all the media reviewers kept having is they would go into this space to try and experience it and review it, and they would just be inundated with interactions with small children who had gotten these devices from their parents. And, like, it's a new technology, so there aren't um, controls put on it to make Mm -hmm. sure that only the adults can use it. So these reviewers felt really uncomfortable trying to do a professional review of a product while also kind of feeling a little responsible to babysit these children (laughs) who are from who knows where who are just playing around unwittingly in this space. And now that I'm talking it out, maybe that means that kids by default do need a Web3 prep series, which is just terrifying. My point is, we don't need any of this. Can we just go back to the good old days of linear television, please? I know. It seems potentially super exploitative, even though I think the intention is to prepare for children how not to be exploited and how to exploit the system themselves yeah yeah I guess (laughs) yeah let's uh I long for the days of pb just pbs programming and that is the the analog that I reached for was right those like pbs shows that would be like here's how to spot an ad right 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 In which case, maybe yay, but I think my overall takeaway is I'm not going to be letting my kids experiment with this space until it's way better established. Like, I need my own Web3 prep series before I'm going to get excited about one for my kids. Yeah, I am glad that you picked this article because otherwise I wouldn't have even like web three would not have been in my vocabulary on my radar. I think it is good to know about from like an information media literacy standpoint. Yeah. We'll definitely keep our eyes on it. And uh, hopefully it's not something we have to go into reviewing because I certainly don't have an Oculus device. Do you have a VR device in your home of any kind? Um, My kids do have an Oculus like Tony saved up all his money and bought one. Have you experimented with it at all? I haven't. Like I had vertigo. Now it's a long time ago, but I'm, I just stay away from anything that could maybe make me dizzy, like amusement park rides, VR headset. So I've watched them play and we've like, like they know not to give out any information about themselves, like where they live, how old they are, if they end up playing a game with like strangers. Mm -hmm. But like, it sounds like when Tony ends up in a group setting, like everybody knows they're not supposed to share that personal information. Well, that's heartening at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Tell me about Battle Kitty on Netflix. Have you seen this at all? No. Okay. So Battle Kitty is a new-ish show on Netflix and it's set up to be interactive in that you kind of move the cursor around like a video game to select which installment you're going to watch. Oh. So it's not fully interactive, I don't think, in that you're not necessarily determining the plot outcome. It's more just like sorting the oh. sorting the order in which you consume episodes. Okay. 
I found it to be less annoying than a lot of the other interactive properties I've watched with my kids, just because, you know, I stress out about that timing aspect. Yeah. So is it sort of a choose your own adventure? A little bit. I mean, if you can picture how like a an interactive map might be laid out on like the menu page of a video game where you can like select okay. which path to take. It's okay. just like that. Okay. And then the content of the episodes, which were, I guess, like 15, maybe as much as 30 minutes long, but like pretty short, I found to be like quite enjoyable and inclusive and like bonkers in the way that sometimes fantasy content can be for kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I dare I say I enjoyed it. I don't know. If you if you get a chance to look it over with your kids, I think Libby and Nate are probably a good age for it. Okay, well, they'll like the name Battle Kitty sounds like just the type of thing they want to watch. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm really excited to talk about today's topic. I know last week we covered a Disney Plus movie, and this week we are covering another Disney Plus movie. Listeners, you'll just have to bear with us because I could not say no to this one. It looked like so much fun. So today we are talking about the movie Sneakerella which dropped on May 13th on Disney+. Plus. It's rated G. It has a one hour, 52 minute runtime, which it should be noted is objectively too long. <laughs> uh, it is a movie directed by Elizabeth Allen Rosenbaum, who is a veteran TV director. It was written by Mindy Stern, who had written for the show called The Baxters, which I've never heard of. George Gore II, who is primarily an actor and this seems to be his first writing project, and David Light. This was the key participant for me because he wrote the Zombies movies from Disney, which you know I have liked both Mm -hmm. previous installments of. It was choreographed by Emilio Dosal, who was an associate choreographer for In the Heights, so I was prepped for some good dancing goes without saying or I guess it has up to this point but I will say it this is a musical guys basic plot outline is it's a gender swap Cinderella story set in New York City Cinderella becomes Elle a wannabe sneaker designer from Queens who's forced to work as a stock boy in his mother's sneaker store by his stepfather and evil stepbrothers truly truly evil stepbrothers He meets and falls in love with Kira, heir to a Manhattan sneaker dynasty. With the help of a local fairy godfather from the neighborhood, he attends a glitzy charity gala to win a shot at Kira's heart and a sneaker deal with her dad. But his rushed departure before midnight leads to a search for the brilliant designer of the shoe he left behind. We picked it because I was really anxious to redeem Cinderella after the Amazon Prime debacle, which I know you liked. So I can't wait to get into your feelings (laughs) on this one versus that one. We know we are aware, listeners, that there is a far buzzier release on Disney Plus right now. We are waiting to cover Ms. Marvel until we can watch a couple more episodes of it. So look for that one in our next episode. We're just going through a Disney Plus heavy time. Stick with us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's talk about our general thoughts. Did we like the concept and the plot? Oh my gosh, I liked this so much. 
I was prepared <laughs> to watch it and be like laughing at how ridiculous it was because the title, granted, is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But you know I love a Cinderella story and mm-hmm. it's been a while since we've seen a gender swapped one. And I was just so relieved that it felt so much warmer and so, so much less calculated than the Amazon Prime version. What did you think? Well, it didn't have all the pop music covers that um, the Amazon Prime Cinderella did. So I missed that. But like it had fun dancing. It had a cool urban setting. The actors were really fun to watch, like from Elle and Kira to like the parents and the step brothers. Everybody was really well cast. I thought it was a fun twist on a tale as old as time. I remember ragging on the girl boss Cinderella of the Amazon Prime version who wanted to be a fashion designer. And on the surface, Elle's desire to be a sneaker designer is not all that different and I'm trying to parse like why I reacted with so much more warmth to this version than I did to the other and why the other felt so crass to me. I think maybe it was because it kind of took it down a notch more into that level of like Disney original movies that are kind of goofy and have this sense of playfulness and they don't take themselves so seriously which feels weird to say about a pop musical version of Cinderella that it even would be trying to take itself seriously I don't know yeah I mean I can definitely see the descendants influence that the makers of this movie are involved in the descendants my kids really like the descendants movies and those are very much made to entertain and sort of poke fun at themselves. I I mean, this wasn't like making fun of itself, but it was self-aware, I guess. So why did you think that Elle's sneaker designs were so much more compelling than uh, the Amazon Prime Ella's fashion designs? I mean, it was sneakers, which we haven't seen in a fairy tale remake before. That's true. Do you know, are you at all familiar with sneaker culture? Only from my favorite podcast, The Daily the Daily Zeitgeist, because one of the co-hosts, Miles Gray, is a big admitted sneakerhead. So I only know about it from like stories on that podcast. Yeah, it's a very foreign world to me. I am not much of a collector of anything. Are you a collector yeah, of not, things? Not really, no. And sneakers seem like a really stressful thing to collect because like you want to wear them, but then they get dirty because they're on the ground. And then you have to like have like special little toothbrush tools to keep them fresh looking. Yeah. It's like the people who buy toys to keep in boxes and never play with. Right, right, right. Yeah. I think it like in the original Cinderella, there's like the rich, poor dynamic but is it weird that both these remakes that have come out recently have like a capitalism business element? Because like Elle is trying to get a deal with Kira's dad's company. He's trying to get in as a sneaker designer. Well, I know we are always 
a little hesitant to embrace the allure of a pro-capitalist message. (laughs) But I do think in both cases, it was a transparent effort to overcome the element of the original fairy tale, which is which is just that the person that you fall in love with is going to like lift you out of your circumstances and everything mm-hmm. will be fine if you just marry well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are those are good points. Those are good points. And I wonder what the alternative would be. Like what is another way we could do that without just pasting on a transparently capitalist message? Right. So let's talk about the cast and the characters. Were there um, any that you particularly loved or hated? I did not recognize a huge number of people. The only one that I really recognized was Lexi Underwood from Little Fires Everywhere. Did you watch that one? A couple episodes. Yeah, same. Is that Kira? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Uh, But everyone else was new to me. I thought that the girls did a really great job. Like... Lexi or sorry Kira and Elle's best friend Sammy Mm -hmm. were the real standouts Elle was good like he's the main character so it would be a problem if he was bad but I thought those two women that were supporting him were real standouts what did you think yeah and I liked the um I thought everybody was really well cast those stepbrothers like they were so believable they were really horrible people oh yeah horrible characters really bad but I did I did like all the cast um and there was even singing there was uh quite a bit of dancing in the beginning and the end of the movie that was really fun too do we want to talk specifically about the dance and the music I thought the songs were all unfortunately pretty forgettable what did you think some okay there were two songs that I thought were pretty blatant Kendrick Lamar ripoffs oh really not being familiar with Kendrick Lamar's catalog you'll have to enlighten me tell me more I'm I'm not super familiar. I mean, there's a radio station here that plays a lot of Kendrick Lamar when he comes out with a new album. So that's the extent of my familiarity. But the one, like the rap battle song at the end, like the chorus, that was clearly very influenced by Kendrick Lamar. Was that the one that Elle did where he had like the little battle with Kira's dad? Yeah. That was, I thought... To me, the most successful song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the ba- there was like a ballad that was like, eh, fine. <laughs> Not going to get stuck in my head. They did weirdly do a version of A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. No, is that the one? Or When You Wish Upon a Star. Yes, yeah. Which was an interesting use of Disney IP and felt kind of abrupt and a little misplaced to me. What did you think? I thought the songs were okay, but I really wanted more dancing because it starts out like this big zombies or in the Heights style, like street scene of dancing. So I was anticipating more of that throughout the film. And I, we really only got it at the beginning and the end. Yeah. There was also that scene in the middle where Kira first put out the call to like find the matching mm-hmm. shoe. You had a bit of a dance scene there, but they totally committed the worst sin of modern movie musicals. 
and that is they just cut the dance numbers too choppily. I am not sure that is a word, but I think you know what I mean. Like yes, if there's yeah. going to be a great dance sequence, just show us the dance sequence. Director, this is not about you and your camera angles. <laughs> just show us the choreography. Right. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I wanted more. It was really good. Those crowd dance scenes were good, but we didn't get enough of them. Agreed. So let's talk about the writing. This is the second movie we've covered lately where New York City is portrayed as a kid's fantasy. What did you think about it as on its own and also compared to Better Nate than ever? I'm not sure how I feel in general about the plot trope that is the neighborhood where you grew up is all you need. I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) So the the way that Elle and Kira first fall in love is he takes her on a tour of Queens and specifically his neighborhood, which I think they say is Astoria Mm -hmm. and all the places that he loves that are very specific and everyone they interact with clearly knows who he is like Mm -hmm. a little Greek restaurant and a little garden and blah, blah, blah. She goes to all these places And Mm -hmm. then later, when she's trying to track him down, it doesn't occur to her to go to any of these very specific places to try and find him. But Kira has everything handed to her. Like, she's like, basically in this part of the city she's never been in before. And like, her driver just shows up because he's (laughs) tracking where her iPhone is. She doesn't have to, like, use critical thinking skills very often, I don't think. Oh, I guess. She's probably book smart, but not very street smart. I mean, if she just looks at the shoe that he left behind, like he put the logos of the restaurant in the shoe. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Kira, come on. I mean, I don't know that I would trust you with a big piece of the sneaker dynasty with this level of uh, blindness, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did like how Kira's family lived at the very top penthouse of like a very glittery skyscraper that doesn't really exist. I don't know how they did that New York city skyline. It must've just been computer generated, but that was like a fun fantasy of New York city. Yeah. They did lean into the fairy tale-ness of the Manhattan dream. Yeah. Okay. Can we talk a little bit about like the trope of the community garden in film? Please. Yes. So the fairy godfather mostly interacts with Elle when Elle is like breezing through this like very idyllic community garden. It doesn't look like any community garden I've ever seen in real life, but it's like this bucolic little plot of land in the middle of kind of a shabby neighborhood. Can okay, so I thought about. There's a community garden that factors into the HBO series High Maintenance. Have you ever watched that? I haven't. Um, The (laughs) episodic nature of it doesn't really appeal to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I get that. It's a show I really like, so I would imagine you don't. (laughs) I don't want to see it. But I was trying to think. I mean, I feel like community gardens in New York City are... A thing in both film and fiction but like what function is that serving in the course of the story that's being told 
I think it's another way to emphasize the tightness of these imagined communities mm-hmm. that that kind of plays into this idyllic portrayal of the urban space. Like, mm-hmm. yes, it is a teeming sea of people, but like you find this special place where everybody knows you and it makes it have this small town feel. I guess as I'm talking it out, it reminds me a little of what we complained about in Clifford the Big Red Dog mm, mm-hmm. and how there was this instant small town community feel to their neighborhood in New York, right? Uh, which I think people who love New York want those of us in flyover states to believe yeah. is how New York works. But I do think for the majority of people that it does not work like that. I'm sorry. I love yeah. that it works out like that for some people. I hope <laughs> that this idyllic community garden picture of city life is at least some people's reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, convenient plot device, I think, is mostly what we can chalk it up to in most cases. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a little long. Yeah. What did you think about the structure and length? I think had the songs been catchier, I would have minded less maybe, but it did. Mm -hmm. I should have looked at actually let's real time Google the length of the Descendants movies. Like, is that common for these Disney, Disney originals? Well, I'm looking now and it is pretty much exactly the length of the first Descendants movie. So (laughs) Yeah, I think it's geared towards a little bit older elementary school tweenish age. So I think it's fine, unlike a more of a Disney classic theater release, which are usually like 90 minutes. Maybe. I don't I don't even know if that's true. I do think that because they are so divorced from reality, it grates on me a little to maintain enthusiasm for longer than an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just say for my family, like this is one where we have to start it just a little early so people can get to bed at their regular bedtime. Yeah, which is fine. Were you able to compare this to any movie or TV show made for grownups? I had trouble thinking of a Cinderella corollary that's not Pretty Woman. That's true. <laughs> also takes place in New York, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that hotel that Richard Gere stays in all it's lacking is like the turret with the flag on it <laughs> right right uh I kind of want to rewatch that but is it a movie that is living better in my memories than it would I'm not sure honestly I like to think it would be as good um were you able to compare it to anything else I was trying to think of movies made for grown-ups that revolve around a case of mistaken identity And I kept coming back to the Hitchcock classic North by Northwest, which I find Hitchcock movies harder to get enthusiastic about the older I get. But like that one holds up pretty well. It's classic Cary Grant. But the one that I kept coming back to, and I'm sure it was made for kids at the time, and I have not seen it since I was a (laughs) child, and I am quite sure that it has aged horribly and is definitely super racist, is The Three Amigos. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah. so it's Steve Martin, Martin Short, and is it Chevy Chase, the third Amigo? Maybe not. I don't remember who the third guy is, but like, they're actors, 
who are crime fighters and they're mistaken for actual crime fighters. So they go to this Mexican town and they think it's an acting gig, but they're actually being asked to, you know, stop this crime wave that's going on. That sounds like something we should watch before the new season of Only Murders in the Building comes out. Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe if it is rated G or PG, we should just watch it for the show, just for funsies. Yeah, I, boy, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time. (laughs) I know. I was definitely (laughs) under 10 when I watched it, so it's been a while. (laughs) Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? Have you watched Fire Island yet? I haven't, but I'm super excited speaking about gender gender flipping traditional stories. And I love an Austin remake, so I am very excited for it. I haven't seen it. Tell me what you thought. I really liked it and I've really enjoyed all of the interviews with Joel Kim Booster about it and like the reviews of it. And all I want to do is watch Bowen Yang and Joel Kim Booster in more movies with Margaret Cho playing the fairy godmother. Here for it. Yeah, it was really fun. I've heard Joel Kim Booster on like podcast interviews before. He's really funny. He's also a Korean American adoptee. So So you've got that personal um, connection. Yeah, I love just seeing what he's doing to move the culture forward. So I'm getting a little off track, but I would I would cast those two in the starring roles. I like How about you? Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? So I guess I've just had Lakeith Stanfield on the brain for like the past few episodes. Wasn't there a straight up romance movie with Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield that came out that I never saw? I don't think it was a comedy. I think it was a photograph. Okay. Did you watch it? I did not. I think those would make a good romantic pair. But then I was thinking about Issa Rae and I was like, no, the romantic pairing I want to see again in this gender swap Cinderella story is Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjani. Yeah, that would be good. I like that. Was it better when we were kids? I looked back at my catalog of Cinderella movies that are better (laughs) than Cinderella from Amazon Prime. We have had a lot of great tellings of this story. I think this is only a great addition to the lineup. Always happy to have a gender swap version of things. Not sure we need another story about a man succeeding in business, but whatever. That's another mm-hmm. another bone to pick. Uh, I think I think it's it's been good all around. I'm happy to have more, but we already had good. What do you think? I liked it a lot. I thought it was fun. I'm happy uh, for my kids that they can watch this version. They can watch the original cart- animated version. They can watch... Uh, the Amazon Prime version. <laughs> would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? I would not because my kids loved it. Yay! So if it gets a replay at our house, it's because of them. And I'll, I will sit down and watch it with them, but I don't need to watch it alone. How about you? Yeah. Again, because I did go through my list of Cinderella's again, I would much more likely sit down and watch Drew Barrymore classic ever after (laughs) then I would watch this version by myself should we do 10 seconds on whether or not this is good for our kids sounds like it was great for yours yeah and again Libby and Nader 9 so they were like the perfect 
age and maturity level to watch this. Tony had no interest in it. (laughs) Was Tony the one that was very into the Descendants for a hot minute, though? He was. Yeah, he really liked the Descendants. But that was like five years ago, probably. Yeah, so there's definitely an age sweet spot for this. Mm -hmm. I do think that if they had been a little less invasive with the cutting of the dance sequences it would have been more successful for my kids Mm -hmm. they can be entertained by a good dance sequence but in general I think they're both a little on the young side Mm -hmm. although they were in it for the colorful shoes yeah (laughs) ratings I give it a four yeah I'm with you? you I was so pleased I was really nervous and I was kind of thinking this would be one of those jokey ones that we did just to like rag on it But man, I love being pleasantly surprised. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com and find us on all the social media channels like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or even on Gmail where you can email us at myscreentime2 at gmail.com. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me, Deborah, and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and watched by parents. Bye. Bye. Screen time. Screen time. Screen time. Screen time.